If you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, please turn with me to the book of Romans. Today we are going to look briefly at a passage in Romans chapter 1, uh, verses 11 through 14. We'll look at a couple other passages as we go through. We'll, we will look again at the Acts 2 passage that we considered earlier today, and specifically at a passage in Hebrews, uh, Hebrews chapter 10. Um, we are going to talk about what we consider fellowship. We typically call it fellowship in our, uh, our, in our language in the church today. It is something that the Westminster Divines, as they put together the Westminster Confession of Faith, in chapter 26, they called it the communion of the saints. So we'll use those words interchangeably. Over the last few months, as we have been going through the catechism and also uh, as I've been consulting the confession, as I've been studying it, I've been astounded by how practical the confession of faith is. I heard it summarized today that, or earlier this week, while it is a theological document, beginning in chapter 9, it becomes very practical in its discussion of and application of the theology that it proclaims. And today we are going to follow the confession's outline on the communion of saints or fellowship, as we typically call it today. And so with that in mind, let us begin today in Romans chapter 1 uh, with verse 11. Paul says, I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I've planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and to the foolish. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, as we consider the communion of the, of the saints, as we consider fellowship today, I do ask that you would open our eyes and our ears, or that is a work that can only be done by the power of the Holy Spirit as he comes to give me the words and as he comes to open the ears and the eyes of your children in this place. And so we ask for that work of the Spirit today to give me the words and to give us the hearing so that we might be changed so that we might grow more and more in the image of Christ and so that we might experience moving forward the sweet fellowship, that communion of saints that is ours in Christ Jesus. We do pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Right around the year 2000, the author Robert Putnam published a book called Bowling Alone. In this book, Putnam used the example of bowling to describe how our culture has changed at least since the revolutions of the 1960s. Bowling prior to the 1960s was something that you did as a community. And in the late 1990s and early 2000s, more and more people bowl alone. He argues in his book that different social interactions that have led in the past to a bonding together as a community and a bridging between different communities, that these social interactions have suffered 
as we have moved more and more to the individual as king and ruler of life. As more people embrace a rampant individualism, as more people embrace the idea that what I want to do is what is right for me to do, social interaction and community have suffered. We, we all know this in our hearts because we hear the mind, we hear the statement over and over again, nobody wants to volunteer to do anything anymore. And Putnam argues that community and social interaction in the past did the job of binding groups of people together and creating a bridge between people and groups who may disagree on certain things. And yet as they gathered together in social settings, they could see each other as humans rather than as enemies. Unfortunately, this has crept into the church as well. You and I are tempted to focus on fellowship around political or social or economic alliance rather than, an, rather than a fellowship or a social structure built around the fact that you and I are sinners saved by the grace of God. The tie that binds these days has been replaced with social and economic and political criteria that separate as much, if not more, than they bind. The glorious truth, however, is since you and I are united to Christ in our salvation, you and I, the people of God, are also united and knit together, one with the other, and we are called to have communion with each other as the saints of God. The Westminster Confession of Faith goes so far, relying upon the passage that we have just read from Romans, the Westminster Confession of Faith goes so far as to say that you and I are obligated to engage in the fellowship, in the communion of saints that Paul summarizes for us here in this passage. What does he say? He says, I long to see you, to spend time with you so that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. And so that's what I want us to look at and to consider today to consider that mutual encouragement of the communion of saints that each and every one of us are obligated to engage in. And this, this communion of the saints, this fellowship takes two forms. It begins on Sunday and it overflows into the rest of our life. Fellowship or communion of saints begins on Sunday. Turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. As you, when you get to chapter 10, we're going to begin in verse 23. And we're going to see, as we already have looked at briefly, that at its heart, fellowship is a mutual encouragement in life, in word, and in deed. How many of you know that life is hard? Life is difficult. We live in a world that has been subjected to futility because of humanity's sin, now, the victory has been won at the cross, but evil is still in its death throes and the battle still rages. We deal with illness, with violence, with storms and earthquakes, and sometimes it's just the normal, average, everyday difficulties of backing into your son's vehicle and then running late for church. Or your printer not working and numbers coming out odd and trying to figure out what's going on in your sermon manuscript. 
Life is hard. And because of our individualism, we often approach the difficulties of life with I will beat this or die trying attitude. But the author of Hebrews has a different method for dealing with the hardships of life. Written to a group of people who were facing persecution and the temptation to abandon their faith for a more, quote, culturally acceptable form of religious practice, the author of Hebrews says this, beginning in verse, chapter, in verse 23 of chapter 10. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. This encouragement, this mutual encouragement that Paul talked about in Romans chapter 1 is, is repeated for us here in, in three different categories. The first thing that the author of Hebrews talks about when it comes to communion of the saints is holding together unswervingly to the hope that we profess. What is the hope that we profess? Well, a little bit earlier in this chapter, the author talks about the greatness of the sacrifice and the glory of Jesus as our high priest. The sacrificial system, the priestly system pointed forward to Christ and Christ fulfilled that in being that perfect sacrifice. And as the priest taking that sacrifice to the throne room of God so that the people of God might be reconciled to him in their salvation. He goes so far as to say how great a high priest that we have. This high priest who has purchased for us access to the throne of God and all the promises that go with that. And that is the confession that you and I hold dear. That no matter how hard this world becomes, no matter how difficult or violent the attacks of the evil one, our great enemy, Satan, the devil, no matter how great or violent his attacks are, we always have the hope that has been purchased for us by the blood of Christ. That hope of eternity with God. And so because God is faithful, as a church in the fellowship, the first thing that we do is we remind each other of that hope that we profess so that we can live life, a difficult life, in the joy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the salvation that he has purchased for us. The next, next aspect of that mutual encouragement is being spurred on toward love and good works. You and I are called to spur our fellow members on to love. You are called to encourage me to love God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, and with all my strength. And you are called to prod me on to love my neighbor as myself. And I am called to encourage each of you in those areas as well. This relationship of spurring each other on to love God and love neighbor is an obligation that each of us have as we fellowship together, as we engage in the communion of the saints. But in addition to spurring each other on to love, we are to prod each other on to good, look, good, good looks. Yeah, good works 
We are called to spur and to prod one another on to act upon the love that we encourage each other to have. In James chapter 2, while he's talking about faith, it can also be applied to love. In James chapter 2, he says, you claim to have faith, but your works don't show your faith. We could say the same about love. You, you claim to love God, you claim to love your neighbor, but your works don't show that you love. If I say I love my fellow church member, but ignore them when they come to me for counsel or for help, do I really love them? James would say no. The author of Hebrews calls us to engage in fellowship so that we can encourage each other to maintain our confession of the hope that we have, to spur each other on to love God and to love neighbor and to act upon that love that we have. This is, this is the essence of fellowship. This is the essence of the communion of saints that should be centered around our common confession, our common calling to serve God. But notice, where does this fellowship happen according to the author of Hebrews? Does the author of Hebrews say, remind each other of the hope and the confession that you have, spur one another on to love and to good deeds at the coffee shop or at the restaurant or in your living room? No. In the middle of these, this call to fellowship, he says, let us not give up meeting together as some of you are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. True fellowship, true communion of the saints begins right here in this room, in the sanctuary of God's church. There is an encouragement that happens as you walk through that door of the church. And, and the author of Hebrews doesn't say, as long as you show up at church, you will be encouraged. He says, as long as you show up at church, the church will be encouraged. Have you ever looked around the sanctuary before as church begins or as church is going on? And, and you look at your fellow church member, your brother and sister in Christ, and you go, oh my goodness. I know exactly what they're going through right now. And if that were me, I'd be curled up at home in a ball, crying my eyes out. But look, God has strengthened them to be here today. That is where fellowship begins. As we see people faithful in their attendance at church because they have that hope of the confession of Christ. Regardless of the struggle that each and every one of us are tempted to think, I am the only one who struggles. Everybody else has it together. And yet as we sit here, we see that others that we know are struggling are here and are engaging in the love of God and in the love of neighbor, are serving God, are serving each other and are holding tight to that profession of hope that we have in our good Savior. The work and the love that you are spurred to in the communion of the saints may merely be the putting of one foot in front of the other as you struggle in the valleys of life. But the, but the encouragement of fellowship comes in this place right here. 
Fellowship begins at church. But fellowship also flows over and continues in to the rest of our lives. If we turn back to Acts chapter 2, we see this work itself out and we see the beautiful interweaving of church and everyday life as we consider where it starts. It says they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Where did the apostles' teaching, where did the apostles' breaking of the bread, and where did the apostles' prayer happen? In the gathering of the saints. And so we see fellowship happening right there in the gathering of the saints. But we also see it as it says that they held things together in common. And we'll talk about that a little bit more explicitly here in a few moments. But he talks about how they gathered in their own homes, eating together with glad and sincere hearts. Fellowship, the communion of the saints, may begin here, but it should overflow into the rest of our lives. It may begin with a dedication to teaching, to the sacraments, and to prayer, but it overflows into our homes, into our workplace, into, the, into our hobbies. How do you and I share in life together? How do you and I participate in fellowship outside of these walls? Well, first, in Romans 12, 13, Paul calls us to share hospitality with our brothers and sisters in Christ. What does it mean to share hospitality? Well, it doesn't mean that you have to get out your Southern living recipes and your Southern living pictures of the perfect dining room and set up your house to look like that 24 hours a day, seven days a week, so everybody feels prim and proper when they come over. Hospitality just means that your door is open for your brothers and sisters in Christ whenever they need you. Hospitality can be can be experienced in an official church program of small groups, or it can be just part of a normal rhythm of your life. Hospitality, interestingly enough, is also the way we bridge the outward focus of evangelism that we looked at last week and the inward focus of fellowship. In her book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key, which we will be looking at after we finish the um, untangling emotions study. In her book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key, Rosaria Butterfield talks about the rhythms of their family life as both their neighbors and their church members have access to them basically 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Yes, they do carve out time to kind of protect their family and things like that, but if a neighbor has problems, the neighbor is welcome. If a church member is struggling and needs encouragement, the church member is welcome. And there's always a pot of soup bubbling on the stove so that if people show up at supper time, they've got things, they've got something to deal with it. Honestly, this is an area where I struggle. This is why we're opening up at least on a monthly, hopefully maybe twice a month as things get going, opening up our house to just having people there. My home is my castle. But it's time for us as the church to lower the drawbridge and to let people in, even if those people are enemies of the kingdom of God. Because it's only as people become neighbors that they also become brothers and sisters. 
as God works for the hospitality. And I know we're talking about fellowship. We're talking about the life of the church. But but hospitality is becoming such a key to not only fellowship, but to evangelism as well. Secondly, in places like Deuteronomy 15, 10 and 11 and Acts chapter 2, verses 42 and 47, which we've looked at, they talk about sharing resources and possessions with those who are in need within the church. You know, you and I are stewards of what we have been given. And at times, God calls us to show our stewardship by giving away what he has called us to manage. I struggle in this area too. I want to get all I can and can all I get and then sit on the lid. And yet God calls us to share what he has given to us. We start within the fellowship of believers. Who is having hardship among you? He says here that they held everything in common. And as people had need, they sold what they had to meet those needs. Now, hear me here. This is not communism. We turn over to Acts chapter 5 and look at the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Peter reminds the church that this is a voluntary thing. Nobody told you you had to go sell your property and give the money to the church, he tells Ananias and Sapphira. He said, it was yours. You could have kept it. And yet there are times when our fellowship is shown as we are willing to share those resources that we have, even though they may be meager resources. We share what we have to those beginning within the church and then looking outside the church. We share our resources with those who are in need. Next, Galatians 6, 1 and 2, Isaiah 35, 3 and 4, call us to bear with and strengthen the weak. When I was tutoring uh, with classical conversations, the first year that I had the senior level students, there was this little mantra that we had within class whenever somebody would complain about how, life, how hard life was. They were seniors, all of them were 18, and so I told them, you know what, you're an adult, suck it up. That's not bearing with the weak. That's impatience. It became a joke as we went through the, the, uh, the semester, through the school year, and we did help each other out quite a bit. But you and I are called to come alongside the weak and the hurting and to strengthen them in their, own, in their weakness. Now, this may mean late nights. This may mean having to say hard things. If the weakness that somebody is struggling with is because of sin in their life, you do not strengthen them by coddling them. Sometimes you have to say hard things about what they are doing that is leading to the weakness in their life. This may involve helping people find good counsel because their weakness is beyond your level of expertise. It doesn't mean you abandon them to that greater counsel, but you walk with them into that counsel. This may mean at times church discipline, as people who struggle with their weakness and sin are unwilling to change and to repent. But we are called to lift each other up, to to, to strengthen each other and to bear with the weak. And all this is summarized for us in Paul's words in Romans 15 too, and we are putting the needs of others first. 
fellowship, the communion of the saints works as you and I realize that we are called to care for and to help those brothers and sisters who are in need. It doesn't mean that we become doormats that can be used and abused. We are to be peaceful as doves and wise as servants. But our default when it comes to the needs of our brothers and sisters in Christ should be to give up time and resources for those fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. It may be your alone time that you give up. It may be your desire to go hang out with other friends that you give up. It may be financial resources or a room in your home that you are called to give up. But our default is to give up time and resources for fellow brothers and sisters. And this is all rooted in our communion, our union with Christ. What did he give up to secure your salvation? you're unsure of the answer to that question later on today, spend some time reading and meditating on Philippians 2, 5 through 11, where it says he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself and took on the form of a servant and became obedient unto death. This call to fellowship, this call to communion, this call to the sacrifice of Fellowshipping together as brothers and sisters in Christ is more for me than it is for you. I covet my private time. I covet my alone time. And yet God says, no, go fellowship with your brothers and sisters. Invest in them. Bear them up. Share your life with them so that you both may be mutually encouraged. Fellowship begins right here at church. And fellowship flows into our daily life. So with those two things in mind, where do we begin? First, reach out to those who have not been to church in a while and make sure they know that they are loved and missed. Elders, this begins with us. And members, it flows to you as well. Secondly, Let's get committed once again to those second Sunday fellowships. Fair is over, so that means winter's here. And if winter's over, that means, or if winter's here, that means summer's over. So let's get committed to that second Sunday fellowship once again. Let's spend time together, not only in worship, but also here fellowshipping together at least once a month. Thirdly, open your house. Invite people over for just an, an impromptu or a, 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 a non-fancy dinner, whatever that word I'm looking for is. It, it, it doesn't have to be fancy. It doesn't have to be official. Just have people over, get to know them, have everybody bring their favorite salad and have a salad dinner, their favorite dessert. You could have all the desserts you want for dinner as long as your doctor says it's okay. If you're so inclined, start a Bible study in your house. There are plenty of resources out there that I can recommend to you. Or if you want to start a Bible study in your house, but you don't feel comfortable leading it, invite me or one of the elders to come and help you out. Sorry, guys, I know I put you on the spot there. You and I can be creative in how we foster fellowship here at, fellowship, at Fairly ARP Church. 
But whatever and however we do it, let's you and I learn to share our lives so that we can spur each other on to a greater hope, a greater love, and a greater work in this world. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, we do thank you for the union that we have with Christ who has knit us together in the body of Christ so that we may also have fellowship together one with another. Grow within us a desire to fellowship together. Grow within us a desire to love each other. Grow within us a desire to serve each other and to bear with one another in our weakness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As you go this week, may the Lord strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of God our Father when the Lord Jesus comes with his holy ones. We pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this sermon from Fairly Associate Reform Presbyterian Church. To find out more about our church and its ministries, please find us on Facebook or visit us at www.arpchurchfairly.org. That's www.arpchurchfairly.org. Have a blessed day.